0: Let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this time to just settle our minds and spend our time in the fellowship of the saints and just to open up your truths. And I pray rightly divide and call to mind and stir our soul. To the blessed gift that we've been given to be sitting and holding a right mind. Lord, we will see this morning this is yet again a precious gift from you. And we just want to praise you for the work of your blessed Son, and the blessed Spirit of the Lord that illumines our hearts and our minds. And we just pray that this would be a time all morning and all day that would honor you particularly in our corporate worship. And Lord, we just pray all these things in your very precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is our 12th, um, since we started this little walk through Romans 1. And as you've seen, it, it, it's, a, it's a passage that invokes so much to think about. And um, today's study, I think you'll find is, I've talked about indicatives, what God has done, and the imperatives are a proper response to that. But this study is just loaded with those. Um, I'd like you to, to listen for them. I want to just start with coming back down into this, this end of this section that Paul opens the book of Romans with in verse 28 of Romans chapter 1. And I'm just going to read it to the end um, and then come back and make a few comments as we open up our study. Verse 28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a very important debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And I'm going to stir all of our conscience up a little bit as i read the rest of this and just as we spend the next couple weeks walking through just some of the definitions of these words i want you to think about how easily these sinful behaviors that is describing the debased mind quite frankly creep in to our lives as believers That's what struck me. It's one of the reasons why I kinda did the detour to really look at how the Lord sanctifies us and the battle that wages in that sanctification because it is far too often for any of us that we might find these behaviors showing up in our lives. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They are full. Notice how they were filled and now they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are. So we go from filled. To full, to now what they are. Just the steady state. This is the constant state. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. And here comes the closing and transitional passage from Paul. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things and practice will be a key word there when we get to it, deserve to die. they not only do them and here comes the societal embracement of what is utterly wicked they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them now i want to take you back to verse 28 and we're going to spend the morning i think we'll get through it this morning, but I want you to, to, to come back to, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and remember in our passage, when we dipped into this about four weeks ago, that acknowledge God is to, to, to say, God, I'm going to test you according to my standards, and what has happened here is I reject you. You do not fit with the God that I want, And therefore I reject you and it is in that thinking that God gives them over to a mind that can no longer think rightly and this is a generational this is why Paul opens up with this passage in this beautiful book of Romans because this lays out and condemns the entirety of humanity Not just this generation, the entirety of humanity. But I want you to zero in on the mind for just a moment. Where did we leave the Gadarene last week? From a man who was an absolute monster to a man who was sitting clothed in what? In his right mind. That's what I want you to zero in on. His mind. And what happened to that man is what we've seen. He, that is Colossians 1. that He was flung off of that wide road to destruction. This road of utter depravity. And he was literally flung... <laughs> right into the kingdom of God. And what was most observable? He was in his right mind. Right? It just teaches there is no greater and more powerful teacher of the truth than the combined work of the Holy Spirit. And for us, the word of God But it all begins with what? An intense encounter with Christ. That's where it started for this man. I want you to think about the mind, and I couldn't help but think about this this morning. Think about Nazi Germany. In 1939, Germany was 54% Protestant, 40% Catholic. You can do the math. It was a very religious country, wasn't it? The intent of the Nazi party was to capture the consciousness the mind of that country and it didn't matter if they were Protestant or Catholic or what they called themselves they captured the mind of an entire nation of people (laughs) to do the most horrific things you could ever imagine And I share that with you, to just take seriously the mind, the way we think, right? Because we get a new heart, and we get a love for Christ, and we get the Word of God, and we are now to put that Word in our minds, in our motives, And the mind and the motive rightly rooted in Christ and the Word of God will begin to drive your behaviors in an entirely new way according to God's will. Precisely what happened to the Gadarene like that, right? But I want to take us back. We talked last week about the two enemies, one within and one out. And I want to just give you a sense of the power that we have been granted to battle these two enemies. I want you to look at, with me, Romans chapter 6, verse 5, and I'm going to read from verse 5 through 12, to see you how you battle this enemy within, which is the flesh. Those impulses, right? Right? Those things that come out of nowhere. Romans 6, 5 through 12. The, Paul is going to help us with what we have to battle against the flesh. And he says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, remember, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. That's what Paul is It's just helping us see if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Hope, certainty of a new body, not one that has this sin still in it, and a resurrection and all the things that are the certainty of hope of a believer. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, there it is, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live With him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin. And three of the most precious words to me once for all. Not over and over again. Not multiple times. Not every time the Catholic Church or anybody else who feels they have to have some kind of a continuing sacrifice. Once for all, it's finished, he said. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Here comes the imperative. So, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, there's, there's a passage that Paul wants you to put in your mind when you're battling sin, that you are dead to that sin. It no longer has dominion over you. You've been yanked off of that road, and although it wages that is to keep us drawing near to Christ and the word of God so that we can put off and put on. And this is, this is what we're given. This is what Paul unpacks in the armor of God. So that you must also, verse 11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, verse 12, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Well, that sounds like a pretty stern warning, doesn't it? Reign is to let it be king in your life. It's to let the flesh and the non-sanctified part of your thinking reign in your life. You are to put it to death daily, Right? But you have been given all of that in Christ. It's right there. Everything necessary for life and godliness. We've been given it, and what we are to do is to appropriate that, to take it. Don't let it just sit there in the scriptures. Take it into your life and take it into the battle with sin. That's the enemy within, and there's much that Paul and Peter and Others have to say about that. Now I want to talk about the ruler of this world. And I want to talk about it through a few passages to see how has God dealt with this foe that is all around us. And has maybe stirred up the world to another climax of his intentions. If you really look around. Right? Just yet another one. Because he don't know which one's the one. He just knows he's got to keep it stirred up and be ready for that time that he is allowed to usher in that tribulation period, right? Let's just talk about this rule of the world. 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, so there's the contrast. There are the two kinds of people that God sees. (laughs) Those that are his and those that are in the hands of the wicked one. John 17, verse 15 and 16. In that precious high priestly prayer, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And that keep is a word, tereo, that says, take it. It's precious. Put it in the most safe place, in the safest place you can possibly find. Keep them, Father, from the evil one. How did the Lord teach us to pray? Right? Precisely the same thing. Lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 5, just an absolutely precious passage, particularly when you're in a trial, or maybe spiritually you're just being attacked. Another good one to have on your mirror in the morning. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 5. Paul says, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you, and look what it says, and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord, verse 4, about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. And here's what I want you to say. May the Lord direct your hearts. You ever pray to the Lord to just direct your heart rightly? To inform your mind rightly? To expose the things that are not pleasing to Him so that you can do your part and just put it to death? Those are those blind spots, right, that we all have. And they tend to flare up, don't they? (laughs) They tend to come out of nowhere. But I want you to see, may the Lord direct your hearts. The word heart and its equivalent used 787 times in the ESV. That's a lot. The heart is really important. The heart shapes your thinking. Your thinking shapes your motives, and your motives drive your behavior. If your heart is right with God, your thinking will be right with God progressively, but not instantaneously. And therein lies the battle and the blessed work of the Holy Spirit. Scriptures uses the word heart often. Strong definition is very helpful. The center and seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind. It's, you can't separate them. The soul and the mind, the heart and the mind, right? That's why being given over to a debased mind begins with a heart that has been literally turned out into darkness. See the relationship there? They're just two sides of the same coin. The exact opposite of what we've been given as believers. A new heart and now a progressively transformed mind through the renewing of your mind, through the scriptures, so that your motives, no matter how far back from your nurturing they may go, will begin to be examined. And you will find sin in your motives. Perfectly noble good motives quickly become idols when you have to have them, right? And this is this process of sanctification that involves the mind, involves the soul. Strong goes on to say, "It is the fountain and seed of the thoughts, passions, desires and appetites." You remember our passage in John 7:37 and eight? "He who believes in me." Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's exactly what Jesus is talking about here, right? So I want to kind of repeat God's sovereign grace working inwardly in us through the regeneration of the soul, progressively but not perfectly transforming the mind, taking in the means, the word of God, Manifesting itself in an entirely new and increasing set of thoughts and passions and desires and appetites in the inner man. And ultimately, and again, far from perfectly, working out into the outer man, which is increasingly righteous, putting on, and progressively less sinful, putting off. And that is the work that the Holy Spirit will do in us throughout the entire course of our Christian life. As we talked about last week. (laughs) Look at how God left that in the Bible with all of these folks that end up in the Hall of Fame. We can look at them and see there was a lot of sanctification going on there. Right? Because it was not edited out of the Bible. And it is not edited out of our life. But I can tell you, our minds will try to edit it out. Particularly if we think that it is our holiness that saves us because if it's our holiness then it is not Christ's righteousness so be careful because I think that's where the church has become so undesirable for so many people struggling with sin (laughs) right because somehow we think it was our righteousness and our holiness and every bit of is a gift from God worked out of us by God throughout the course of life Ephesians 5:15 through 21 important transitional passage for us to think about Let me remind you of Proverbs 423 first, which says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flows the springs of life. You can examine your life. Where there are things that are not right in your life, it's flowing out of your heart wrong thinking that has not been replaced with biblical thinking and the flesh is prevailing that's at the heart of the work of the holy spirit in our sanctification right and boy we should all figure out which ones are we holding on to the tightest i know for me they come straight out of my childhood and they have they have been with me a long time and they need to be put to death and Tina and I shared this morning with our precious little 12-year-old, she is part of the instrument the Lord is using to just put those things right in my face, to go to war with them, right? Because those noble motives of my heart in some areas have become idols. I got to have them, Right? And that's this battle that we're looking at. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5.15. We've looked at it a number of times. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Because we're about to immerse ourselves back into a passage that tells you the world we're walking in and the people that are in it. And we had better look carefully, right? Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand the mind, you see, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, which is to, to really <laughs> kind of throw into that, you mean it's just don't get drunk, right? But the real piece of an issue with, with drunkenness is what Paul says, for that is debauchery. Debauchery is just unhinged living from everything that is pleasing to God. But being filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, amen, Ryan? Singing and making melody to the Lord with what? Your heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of, and here's the ultimate reason, for every godly desire we have. Reverence for Christ. Look what he's done for me. (laughs) And continues to do every day of my life to conform me to him, to his praise and to his glory. And The fact that they forbear with us all the way through the course of our Christian life is just wonderful, isn't it? It's a pretty good well of patience for the rest of us. Because I know the Lord is patient with me. And how he continues to teach things that were just blind spots, right? They come from back here to wham, right here in front (laughs) of your face. And this is this work of sanctification. So I wanna switch, go to Romans 8 with me. We're gonna keep digging into this mind and we're gonna see it very prominently. And it's not coincidental that Romans 8 is often viewed as the chapter devoted by Paul to the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. But it is saturated with this work that occurs in the mind. And that's what I want you to see, right? Romans 8, I'm gonna take this in little, little sections. Romans 8, 1 through 2 starts with the most glorious words, echoes of Romans 5. But it says, there is therefore now, really key, right now, for the believer, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has, remember John eight thirty one has set you free. In Christ Jesus, from what? The law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death says the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ, in his resurrection through his death, has freed you from the eternal death that never dies for the wages of sin. Therefore, the law of sin and the law of death were both shattered on the cross of Christ for us. That's how Paul takes this thing up that he's been writing all this time to the highest praise of God. Romans 8, 3 through 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, there's a hint to all of us, could not do. Because the law is our tutor to do what? Convict us? Stop us at every step we try to make ourselves holy and righteous? The law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. The law was never, ever, ever to be an instrument by which we declare our righteousness. It was always to condemn us so that we would see our need for Christ. And you talk about the mind, that's how Israel missed it. And there was one thought in their mind, we can be righteous. How can they get that from everything God revealed to them? But you see the power of the mind, you see the power of Nazi Germany. They convinced their whole nation and a whole lot of other people That it was the Jews that were bringing curse upon all of us good people. And we need to wipe them off the face of the earth. And as soon as we wipe them off the face of the earth, we will be blessed. (laughs) Right out of the pit of hell. But look how believed it was. Look how controlling it was. That was all right here. In a nation that was 95% religious. Fearful. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us because of what he's done. Don't ever lose sight of that. Who walk, there's our part, not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And remember, Paul just walked us through Romans 5, 6, and 7. (laughs) I do what I know I shouldn't do. I don't do what I know I should do. Wretched man that I am. Right? Same guy writing this. And it is to tell you, in the midst of that battle, it is not about your eternal salvation it's about your reverence for Christ and to put off sin to deny that sin and to put on righteousness and to glorify Christ in your testimony to the world to our children to our grandchildren right Because thanks be to God, my sin today will not keep me from heaven when I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But it will sure destroy my testimony, won't it? And that's part of what Paul is trying to stir up in us here. Verse five For those who live according to the flesh, and here's what I want you to hear about the mind, set their minds on things on the things of the flesh. Their mind is set on the things of the flesh. And here's the easiest way to describe it King me. I'm king. If we've all ever had a rough spot in our marriage, we know that's where the problem was. I pray that it was, right? That's where it is. King me. No, King me. Minds get set, flesh gets involved, and pretty soon, Christ is nowhere in the picture, right? What's the antidote to that? Set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. That's how you will see it, right? And we're being taught here to train our minds on what not some fluffy floating set of thoughts but all of the imperatives of Scripture to put on and put off and here's the real shot regardless of your circumstances or maybe especially despite your circumstances be a testimony the Christ that has saved you, right? That's what Paul is telling us the Holy Spirit is doing. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. And that's where I say, thanks be to God for his grace. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And thanks be to God for verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. Here comes the caution, to examine yourself, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And this is an amazing passage. We talked about it last week. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your, does it say your immortal, your eternal, your future body? Your mortal body. We may be saved, we may have a wonderful eternity, But I'm convinced we we can make life really difficult down here. If we are failing to put off and put on. And we'll see that in, in just a moment. Maybe next week. I want to jump to 1 Corinthians 2, to encourage you and to just think about what we have to, to take into this battle of sanctification with us. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And we see that rampant in our society today, do we not? And he is not able to what? Understand them. The mind is blinded by the heart. Because they are spiritually discerned without the Holy Spirit, having done his work of regeneration, the scriptures will not only be confusing, frustrating, but they will actually be atrocious. Because that's the disposition of the mind. Verse 15, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one because he's judging based on the word of God. Right? Verse 16, most, one of the most shocking passages I think you can imagine. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, says Paul? But we have the mind of Christ you ever think about that and all this is to say when we stand before the Lord and we give an account for our Christian lives we will know that every time we stumbled into sin it was all us because they gave us, as Peter so rightly said, everything necessary for life and godliness. Everything. And it is that we fail to appropriate it into our life, to deny the flesh and to put on the biblical teaching that we should know and be learning and be fellowshipping over and discipling over so that we can be the testimony that we've been called to be. So we'll come back next week and we'll we'll walk into a couple of examples of this. And then we're going to descend down into an understanding of this wide road that we have been called out of yanked off of and yet brought so much of our thinking from that road right into our Christian lives. That's why I want us to see the parallel of that, because that's why I say as sharp as the words are to, to my own soul, we can see an awful lot of the behaviors off of that wide road brought right into our own way of thinking and doing.